The reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. It can be found on page 1182 of the Pew Bibles. Chapter 1, verse 15. The supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul's labor for the church. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that had been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now (coughs) disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which has so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I pray that I might speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I say, we've reached the, um, the third of our Welcome Sundays, in which we outline the mission of our church, in the hope that folk moving to Oxford and looking around churches, might make their home with us. And this week we're investigating how we can make a difference in the world. Making a difference. And we've seen already that it's our aim, if you haven't been here the last uh, couple of weeks, it's our aim to make disciples. 
that is to call to faith those who do not yet believe in the Lord Jesus. We're an evangelical church with an evangelistic uh, agenda. So there's an expectation here that our activities will draw in those seeking God and asking questions. And of course that should apply to our our children's and our our youth work, our ministry to adults, whether it's uh, 20s and 30s group, whether it's Monday mums or house groups or Outlook, which many of you go to. We should be accessible to those who are not yet Christians. All our courses, including uh, Alpha, which starts quite soon on October the 9th, everything should be set up so that it is warm and welcoming for those who are not yet believers. And I mean everything. And of course, that includes what we do here at the front, and that's a challenge to us as well. And secondly, we saw last week that it's our aim to mature believers, not just to make disciples, but to mature believers, to turn believers in Jesus into fruitful disciples. And that's a a repeated theme of Colossians chapter 1. That's Paul's concern for the Christians at Colossae, that they should become believers, and having become believers, should become fruitful in their Christian lives. And we saw last week that maturity is dependent upon growing in understanding of the Word of God and dependence on the Spirit of God. So, of course, Bible reading and teaching and prayer are at the heart of all that we do as a church family. Why is it important, though, that we should make a difference? Why can't Christian faith just be a private matter, nice for us, and we happen to have a kind of religious gene or something within us, and it's a private matter? It doesn't matter whether uh, other people believe it or not. Why is it important that we make a difference in the world? Well, of course, at the most basic level, it's important because people get saved. Uh, This passage is introduced by a a striking verse in Paul's writing where he says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. People are plucked by God from darkness to light, from the prospect of hell to the prospect of heaven. That's a pretty vital difference for people. And because for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, this life is beset by persecution and misery of one kind or another, our news is full of that, we should not lose that perspective. For many people, uh, many Christian people, life in this world is barely tolerable. So the hope of heaven Uh, makes a huge difference to them. And of course, that was the case for many of the first generation of Christians as well. Their lives are endangered because of their faith. So to know that there was a glorious future made a huge difference to them. For most of us, this life is at worst tolerable, and it's often, let's face it, totally brilliant. We live in this wonderful city. Many of us have families around us. Uh, interesting jobs, fulfilled lives. Uh, We are very privileged to live in peace and tranquility relative to so many in the world. And heaven, in a sense, therefore, heaven can seem less important to us because it's pretty good here. It's pretty good here. Having said that, um, I... um, uh, No sooner had I written that in my sermon than I opened an email which uh, outlined the more details of the appalling child sex ring that uh, 
people have just been prosecuted for in, in Oxford. And then the next letter that I opened was the latest report from the Emmaus, um, work of Emmaus, working amongst homelessness people in our city. Incidentally, if you haven't seen the latest Emmaus newsletter, let me recommend it to you. It is a, a brilliantly moving account of how Christians can make a difference to people whose lives have been very broken and damaged and have become homeless. It is a particularly good edition of the newsletter. Let me encourage you to download it if you haven't got a, got a copy of it. But there is much suffering even in our own city, much suffering even, in our, even on our doorsteps. And Christians are addressing that suffering and need to do so more and more. So it makes a difference because it brings the hope of heaven into people's lives, the gospel, and it makes a difference because it can greatly change people's lives here and now. But I want to start with a a rather moving story, which I shall abbreviate, from Jill Ireland, our mission partner in Thailand. One of the ways in which we as a church want to make a difference is to be committed to the Great Commission, to be a missionary church to be uh, encouraging people to go, as many have, to all parts of the world to bring the love of Jesus into, uh, into people's lives, uh, to bring light into the darkness. And Jill has sent us this story from Thailand, where she's working uh, for the gospel. Uh, she tells the story of Mr. K. And Mr. K comes from a restricted access country. She doesn't tell us which because his life would be in danger if she were to say where he comes from. He grew up in a very strict Buddhist family. He, he, he was one of 11 children and uh, he went to all the Buddhist festivals and grew up as all good little Buddhists would in that situation. But one of his older brothers became a Christian and from time to time, Uh, Mr. K went with his brother to the church. So he knew something about Jesus, but he uh, rejected all of that and opted for um, a Buddhist way of life. He considered himself to be a holy boy. He thought he was a holy boy. And he strived with all, strove with all his might to be good, to be holy. Uh, in, In due course, he went for a while, as many young men in Buddhism do, to the temple to be, serve as a, a, a novice monk for a while, and he was taking his Buddhism very seriously. But he was struggling with the sin in his own life. He was struggling with his inclination to do things that were wrong, even though he wanted to be a holy boy. And he um, hoped that he would find in the abbot of the temple an example of goodness that he could follow. But he was very disappointed when one day he saw the abbot giving bad advice to a woman and also not uh, reflecting what he considered to be a good uh, way of life at all. So he was very disillusioned with Buddhism, went back to his brother and started going back to the church where he found that there was more consistency amongst the Christian leaders and the Christian congregation in the church and in due course he became a follower of Jesus. It was a costly decision for him to make. And I'm just going to quote what Jill then writes about him. His becoming a Christian upset his parents. They worried he had chosen the wrong path and being a Christian would lead him in the wrong way. They asked him to stop being a Christian, but he continued. His grades at school were poor by this time he was a student. But as he prayed, he believed God helped him to become a better student and he improved greatly. Mr. K also began serving in his local church, and now, some years on, he leads a ministry department 
within the recognised church denomination in his country. I have spent time with Mr Kay recently, she says, as he is one of the leaders of the sports ministry effort in his country. Two weeks ago, we were able to sign a new partnership agreement with the president of his denomination to serve the church in this country in reaching out to young people through sport. As Mr. Kay reflects on his own spiritual journey, he is passionate to reach out to other young boys who are striving to be good and holy by the wrong means. He longs to introduce them to Jesus, who graciously bestows us with his goodness and holiness as we trust in him. Mr. Kay has a football team, which he coaches twice a week, followed by dinner in his home and a Bible study. Some of his team are Christians, and he is discipling them and hoping they will start outreach teams of their own with some younger age children. Every Saturday, the team invites their friends from the wider community to come and join them, enjoying sport together and having the opportunity to learn more about Jesus. This in a closed country, where it is not easy to be a Christian, Mr. Kay is making a difference. I think that's encouraging that we as a church can send somebody in to work alongside such heroic Christians. And I notice, and I've had a little bit of a a, a W word fest this week, notice how Mr. K became a worshipper of the true God, notice how the welcome he received made a difference, notice the witness of his brother, and notice what work he now does for the Lord. So I want to pick up those four, four W's from Colossians chapter 1. Wholehearted worshippers, warm welcomers, winsome witnesses, and willing workers. Paul White would be proud of me. Paul is the king of alliteration, and uh, I feel I've won, got one over him this week. So firstly, we can make a difference by being wholehearted worshippers. In um, these wonderful verses, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which is one of Paul's most kind of magisterial passages, he is describing the person of Christ. He he is worshipping the one that he has come to see as his Lord and Saviour. He acknowledges his deity. He is fully God, he says. He acknowledges that Jesus is the, has the power as creator of the universe, but he's also the sustainer of the universe. He is the head of the church. He is the incarnate God amongst us. He praises God for, his, for Jesus, for his work on the cross, for his resurrection. It's a mind-boggling, it's a, just a wonderful passage, verses 15 to 20, worth reading again and worshipping God yourselves before you go to sleep this evening. Just work your way through it and go to sleep praising God for all that he's done in Jesus. A mind-boggling catalogue of Christ's greatness. Now, week by week, we come here to praise and adore this great God. We hold worship services. Of course, there's much more to worship than just coming to church but we come here to praise the God who has made himself known in Jesus. And perhaps we become so familiar with these categories, so used to the idea, that we forget just how stunning it is. Now, we, we run these four distinct services, 8 o'clock, 9.45 as it is at the moment, 11.15 and 6 o'clock, with a different kind of style in each one. But the idea is to give us all, as a family, the opportunity to worship God wholeheartedly, to come and praise the God 
who has made himself known to us in Jesus and rescued the world, bringing people from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. It is astonishing the things that we claim that God has done week by week in our worship. And when we say it in the creed, which we will in the moment, we say astonishing things that we believe. And if we worship wholeheartedly, which I encourage you to do, it makes a huge difference to other people. If people come in amongst us and see us worshipping, you know, half asleep, not really engaged with what's going on, they'll think, these people don't really care about God. But if we really wholeheartedly enter into worship with an attitude of expectation and commitment, then it makes a difference to other people's lives and will make a difference in our community. It does make a difference in our community. The great evangelist David Watson, he said that good worship makes people ask the questions that evangelism answers. It's a very good, it's a very good quote. Good worship makes people ask the questions that evangelism answers. So we need to be a worshipping community that makes people think, those people have got something about them. I wonder what it is. So don't come and spectate. Come and participate. Pew filling does not make a difference, but wholehearted worship does. So be wholehearted worshippers. Secondly, we are to be warm welcomers. Verses 21 to 23 of Colossians 1 outline how uh, people who were not uh, Christians, uh, they were strangers and newcomers, outsiders, Colossian Gentiles, are welcomed into God's family. Uh, They were enemies. That's a very strong uh, word that Paul uses. And yet these people are now included into the Christian family. We should never forget, and especially this is true, I think, if if we come from an unchurched background, if we weren't brought up going to church, we shouldn't forget what it was like when we first started coming to church and what it can sometimes be like for outsiders when they come to church. Everyone knows what to do and seems to know each other. Uh, People know the songs and the hymns. And, of course, the the outsider doesn't. We all know when to sit and to stand. We even have some sort of set responses at the end of readings that people seem to know. People know roughly how long the service is going to last, whereas the visitor hasn't a clue how long they've been entrapped in this nightmare that they're going through. They don't know where the loos are, which is panicky for some people. They're not familiar with the books in the seats and so on. So it can be a very unwelcoming situation, a hostile culture that we create. And the passage here in Colossians teaches us that God welcomes those who are outsiders into his new community. Greeks from Colossae, non-Jews, becoming part of the Messianic community. Personally, I don't know whether, I don't think I'm a particularly good example of it, but I try to do this. I try to make sure that I speak to someone I don't know after every service. That is one of my aims each Sunday that I I try to do. Sometimes people uh, know that I do that, so they introduce me to people. The problem, of course, is that you know, as I get older, I introduce myself to people that I've already met about six times already. Uh, and I have to apologize for my human weakness. But, but I don't apologize for trying to do that. And, and I urge you to make a difference by trying to welcome people that you don't know. I'm, I never cease to be amazed 
at uh, St. Andrew's social functions to discover, it's partly because we have four different services, but I think it's also because we tend to, we're British and sort of private, that we um, to discover that people don't know each other. It's amazing the people who don't know each other. So let me encourage you all to be welcomers. Let us all, as a church family, be welcoming to one another. It's really good if you can uh, introduce yourself and welcome someone who you don't know Sunday by Sunday. You may find that they're a complete newcomer to church, in which case they'll be thrilled to have been spoken to. You may find that they're a retired vicar who's been at this game for about 65 years. But don't worry, if they are the retired vicar, they'll be thrilled that you are welcoming them anyway. But let's try to be warm welcomers, because that does make a huge difference to other people. Thirdly, let's be winsome witnesses. This is our response to the challenge of the gospel. In verses 24 to 27, Paul bears his heart to the Christians, and uh, to the Christians in Colossae, and he's never met them, um, but he's heard about them. And in the letter, he's going to correct, he's going to say some quite harsh things to them, not harsh things, quite tough things to them about the errors into which they have fallen. And he wants, if you like, to get them back onto the straight and narrow. And we're going to study this, this book, actually, in the evening services over the next few weeks and see that. But here, though, in these verses, he kind of establishes his credentials by sharing a little bit of his story. He speaks of his sufferings, which were great, of his desire to present God's uh, truth faithfully, to make known to people as appropriately as possible the glorious good news that God has chosen to make himself known to all the world. He calls it a secret, a mystery, a mysterion that has been revealed. A great secret has been unveiled. God's care for the whole world, his uh, act of saving the world in Christ. And he says, now, everyone, everyone can have Christ in them and have the hope of glory. What an amazing, amazing truth we, we have been made witnesses of. We, we may at times only grasp it just a little bit of in, our, in our minds. We, not, we may get in a muddle about it sometimes. But here is the astonishing, astonishing good news for the world. That everybody, everybody can have Christ in them and have the hope of glory. We are witnesses as Christians to that great truth. Everybody, everybody can have Christ in them and have the hope of glory. What an amazing, what an amazing thing we have to testify to. So we can, we can establish our Christian credentials at, our, at work at our school where we study, or university, in our neighborhood, in our family. We can establish our, our credentials as Christians, as Paul does, by how we live principally, how we spend our time and our money, how we speak, of course, but often actions speak louder than words. I've spent quite a lot of my uh, life, as you know, uh, being part of sports teams of one sort or another, And it's very interesting how two or three Christians in a sports team can very quickly change the culture of that team. So blasphemy will become less acceptable. Swearing will become less acceptable. Respecting the authority of referees or umpires will become part of the culture of a team. Christians, without saying much, can very quickly alter the the culture of a group. And we can all do that in whatever context we are moving by living winsome Christian lives, by living out in, in, our, in practice what we say we believe in theory. 
The world is watching us as surely as the early church watched uh, those first Christians. And we can make a difference by being a winsome witness, by being consistent in our Christian faith. Lastly, very quickly, we can make a difference by being willing workers. We proclaim him, says Paul, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Struggling with all his energy. God needs Christian workers, people who will struggle with all God's energy. It's a wonderful expression, isn't it? It's a wonderful expression. I labor, struggling with all his energy. As I prepared this sermon, I thought to myself, if I had been writing that in the first century, I have a horrible feeling I would have written, I labor, struggling with all my energy. I feel I would have probably written that. But Paul, this great winsome witness, a a giant of a man in Christian service, writes, I labor with all God's energy, with all God's energy, which so powerfully works in him. It's a very humble, humble thing to write. And that is how we should think. That is how we should think that God has invested in us. He's invested in us and put his energy in us so that there is a huge variety of work that we can do. Some will go overseas, like Jill has to Thailand, or that Tim has, laboring all those years down there in the Chaco to translate the scriptures into the language of the people there. What an amazing, amazing hero Tim Curtis is. Some will go, um, like Ian Gill, a member of our church here. Ian teaches at St. Clair's College. Ian has, I think, just been on his third trip to Sierra Leone. I showed a little snap of him teaching in a school in Sierra Leone at the 9.30 service. A brilliant effort to go and use his skills to make a difference in Sierra Leone. I walked with Tom and Jane Benyon for a couple of days in the summer uh, as they raised, uh, up, they've now raised uh, a million pounds for Zane, the charity helping the most needy people in Zimbabwe. These things make a huge difference in people's lives. And many people in St. Andrews, many of you, are involved in projects like that around the world, and that is a marvellous thing. Others, of course, will train for full-time ministry in the church or be involved in training others for full-time ministry in the church, which makes a huge difference. Most people will work in the church or outside it in Christian charities and organisations to make a difference. We're going to hear a little bit from Rob uh, Heimberger in a moment about Asylum Welcome but you could, you could be involved in that, or you could be involved in Emmaus, which I mentioned earlier, or street pastor. But of course, you could help in the church. You can be a children's group leader, a member of the visiting team, a member of the prayer ministry team, who will, of course, be here to pray with you at the end of the service. You can be a sound operator. You can operate the computer at the services. You can help in the music group. You can help with the flower team. You can help in the garden. There are numerous. I could go on and on and on. But we all can find a place to help in some way or another. And even if we become uh, incapacitated in any way, uh, we can still help by praying. I was really, it, I was, I was really touched the other day, I wasn't going to say this, but seeing uh, Audrey Maxwell sitting here, seeing Audrey here, Audrey comes up to me uh, the other day and says, I want to help at Laura's wedding by doing, uh, helping with the flowers uh, for Laura's wedding. And I'm really touched by that, Audrey. I think it's really a wonderful offer and just shows that if you can be a willing worker, you will find somewhere 
where you can make a contribution uh, to the growth of God's church. So let me encourage you today. We believe here in every member ministry. We believe that everybody should be involved in gospel work in some way in our church. And you can make a difference. I can make a difference simply by being available to God. Next week, there's going to be an opportunity here at all the services. Different ministries of the church are going to have a a table and a stall up. And uh, if you want to uh, put your shoulder to the wheel in some new area where you haven't been involved before, there'll be an opportunity uh, to find out a bit more about that next Sunday. Let's pray together. We thank you for our church family. Father, we thank you that uh, it has sent people off all around the world and they are making a difference for you. We thank you that uh, people from our church are making a difference in Cutslow. We thank you that they're making a difference in a huge number of different charities, both in this country and around the world. We thank you for those who who make a huge difference in our own church family, teaching the children, helping in the youth groups, uh, working in all sorts of ministries in the church, helping with uh, lifts to church for some people. There are so many ways in which we we can make a difference with your help to people's lives. Show us, each one of us, how we can make a difference for you. For Christ's sake. Amen.